0: well happily democrats have proven faithful and up to the long fight you know and there are few americans who demonstrate this better than my first guest the spectacular organizer and head of the wisconsin dems ben wickler ben welcome back
1: Ben, it's so great to be back with you in a moment that could be a moment of flaming wreckage for our democracy and instead is a moment that's a testament to how many Americans actually believe in having a government that's responsive to its people instead of an autocracy.
0: Yeah, it was a lot to celebrate and you were part of a lot to celebrate. But before we get right to that, I hope you were able to take a break and enjoy a quiet Thanksgiving.
1: I had a a great Thanksgiving uh, with one hiccup that I will, I will tell you about in a second, but I, my about forty two. Uh, family members all got together and ate much too much and had a wonderful, wonderful time. So I appreciate the the kind thoughts on that. Um, the well, one—it's also just
0: yeah. so important, right? I mean, I, I don't know who, who the right thinks you and I and others like us are, but we love this country and we love things, you know, these traditions of our country.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I sort of feel like gratitude is an emotion that it's hard to hold gratitude and hate in your heart at the same time. <laughs> and if, we, if we could have a little bit more genuine American Thanksgiving, uh, happening across the country, I think it would reduce the polarization and, you know, move us more towards being the kind of country we all want to be. Yeah. All
0: right. So what was the hiccup?
1: The hiccup was that it was a good hiccup. A Republican state Senator, uh, announced her plan to retire early the day before Thanksgiving. And It meant that when the new state legislature is sworn in in January, Republicans will be one vote shy of a supermajority in the state Senate. And we held them off from a supermajority in the state assembly. And what that combination means is that the at least for the first three months of the year next year, Republicans won't have the power to impeach, which is one of the the kind of uh,
0: time wasting ridiculous things they do. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so <laughs> it means that we have a special election for state senate and a Supreme Court race that I'll also want to talk about on April fourth that could, you know, shut Republicans out of a of a way to abuse their power that would be terrifying for Wisconsinites. And that so it was a you know a minor little political moment where I had to jump on the phone with a bunch of people during the Thanksgiving break, but it also it was another thing to give thanks for. Republicans yeah. tried to rig our system so that they that a minority of voters could have unaccountable control over the state, and it is not working.
0: Uh, so the midterm outcome in Wisconsin was not perfect, but it was stunningly good for Democrats and democracy. I, I think it's worth taking a minute and walking us through what you won and how close you came to winning even more?
1: Absolutely. So that I think the first critical thing is the context, which is that Wisconsin is so evenly divided that we almost always swing between uh, you know, a president from one party wins and then the other party wins everything in the midterms. The last time a Democrat has won a governor's race in Wisconsin, incumbent or not, when there was a Democratic president was 1962. And 60 years ago, that election, the president, JFK, had a 70% approval rating after the Cuban missile crisis, and the Democratic candidate won by a single percentage point. So this year, with a Democratic president who does not have that kind of approval rating, although I think he's doing a great job, the, the pendulum swing was almost mechanical. It was viewed by many, many, many people, independent observers, as nearly a lock for the GOP that they would get the governorship. Um... In addition, Republicans gerrymandered our state legislative maps so aggressively that uh, analysts, uh, you know, national analysts thought that Republicans had a coin flips chance of getting supermajorities in both chambers of our state legislature, which would mean that even if we did win the governor's race somehow, Republicans could override the governor's veto. And on top of that, Republicans flooded in money in the Senate race to the degree of uh, it was a $27 million spending gap. Uh, which was all of which was accounted for by two billionaire families, Dick and Liz Uline and Diane Hendricks. They put in $29 million to reelect Ron Johnson, who'd given them a giant tax cut and to beat Mandela Barnes and a bunch of polls. I mean, uh, uh, in mid October, the best poll in Wisconsin said that Mandela Barnes was down by seven points. So nationally people just wrote off that Senate race. So that was the context going into election day and We've been, at the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, all the independent and grassroots groups, the candidates' campaigns have been working incredibly hard, uh, in some cases, in the party's case, for years. We started planning the governor's campaign in the summer of 2019. Um, This was a a huge effort to try to defy history. And, you know, as the election, as the results started to be counted, we did not know which way it was going to go. But by around midnight, on election night, it became clear that all of those historical expectations had been blown out of the water. The governor not only won, but won by 3.4 points, which in Wisconsin is a land triple his margin in the blue wave year of 2018. Our attorney general got reelected by 1.3 points in a year where Republicans tried to use crime as the defining issue of the election. In the state legislature, Republicans came breathtakingly uh, the, the hold your breath close. Um, they came within 2,499 votes of getting dual-chamber supermajorities.
0: Oh, Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, that's less than one-tenth of one percent of the votes cast statewide. If they'd had those votes in the right districts, they would have supermajorities in both chambers now. And in the Senate race, despite being outspent by $27 million, we came within 26,000 votes of being the first state in which a a Democratic challenger defeated a two-term incumbent Republican Since 2008, that's the last time that happened. And we were the closest state in the country to to defeating an incumbent Republican anywhere, despite this massive spending gap. So although it, it kills me every day that Mandela Barnes is not going to the Senate and Ron Johnson's going back. He demonstrated his effectiveness as a candidate. The state demonstrated that you know, he could, could beat the odds. Um, I wish with all my heart that we had won, but I feel so proud of him and everyone who worked on that campaign and everyone who poured themselves into volunteering and supporting because we came closer mm-hmm. than anyone thought was possible.
0: Well, and, and he not only should he be proud of his campaign on his own behalf, um, but, you know, he helped generate the turnout that pushed all those other victories you've talked about.
1: That's exactly right. And it's it's worth noting how real that is. In 2018, Tammy Baldwin won by 11 percentage points in a landslide because once it was clear that she was going to win, uh, Republicans basically gave up in the Senate race. They stopped spending money on ads. They pulled out completely. And she her gap, which was you know, a meaningful gap, it, it became a giant gap. And that helped every Democrat across the state win in the, in the midterms by very narrow margins. Governor Everett won by 1.1 percentage points. Attorney General won by 0.6 percentage points. And in this election, if people had given up on Mandela Barnes, if Mandela Barnes had given up uh, a month out from the election – he could have lost in that kind of landslide, and that would have made it almost impossible to win the other statewide races. But instead, he refused to give up, and he fought so, so hard. He made 100 stops in the last 16 days of that campaign. <laughs> and because of that, the, the, the margin narrowed beyond what just about any independent observer expected, and it helped to propel victories up and down the ballot. So this was a giant team effort, and you know ev- nobody gave up. Everyone gave it 110%. And because of that, democracy survived in America's tipping point state.
0: Well, you now have two senators who could not be more different. I mean, Tammy Baldwin just led the effort to protect marriage from what we know is a coming attack from the Supreme Court. And Ron Johnson, I I, don't want to really talk about him too much, but I mean, you know, he's back there for six more years of sowing confusion and fighting for kleptocrats.
1: It is. It's such a staggering divide, and I think marriage equality is a good example. You know, the, the Respect for Marriage Act that Tammy Baldwin led and got Republicans to cross over and vote for it codifies the right for people to marry who they love, whether you know, no matter their gender, no matter their race. Things that now are under threat because of these extremists on the Supreme Court. Ron Johnson initially signaled that he might support that before the election, and then eventually came out against it and said that he'd only said that he might support it in order to get the reporters off his back, which is it's just the most grindingly cynical kind of nihilistic politics imaginable, as well as being, I mean, just really gross from the perspective of...
0: I'm sorry, Ben. I like it. I like it that he said that. You know, sometimes (laughs) a politician looks in the mirror, and they just tell you who they are. And you know, the rest gets easier after that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's i you know i i, I take your point uh, i would rather that he occasionally be honest about what he's what he's actually doing in this
0: world well but, but so speaking you, of honest that word truth comes to mind you want to tell a bit about truth pack?
1: oh god so the, well this is the thing that the these two billionaires who uh, got a half billion dollar tax deduction thanks to ron johnson personally authoring a tax provision that benefited them and himself incidentally um they took a little chunk of the money that he saved them and poured $29 million into the biggest single candidate super PAC in the country in any race, mm-hmm. uh, specifically to, to repay the guy who'd enriched them. And you know, they, they personally accounted for more than the entire spending gap in the race. Mandela Barnes would have outspent Ron Johnson if it wasn't for these two billionaires. Um, so they got they got their payday. Uh, I, I will say, though, that in Tammy Baldwin's case, she is now up in 2024 so she's in cycle and one of the ways to look at the results just now every incumbent senator from both parties got re-elected in, who was who was up in 2022 and the incumbency advantage is on tammy baldwin's side this time um if if you add two points to the incumbent then without incumbency having an advantage, Mandel Barnes would have won by one point and Tony Evers would have won by one point. Um, yeah. But it, it means that we have a real fighting chance to ensure that Tammy Baldwin returns for, for another term in the Senate. And that's something I'm excited about.
0: I am too, but it's going to be a hard cycle because of the who's up all over the country for sure. Democrats.
1: Absolutely. We, we have to hold the seat to have a prayer of, of any shot at holding the majority.
0: Um, l- let me turn back for a moment to your uh, state legislature and this special election, I think um, what is a what does a special election look like? you know where is it what kind of district and how you know how should people start to think about that
1: So the special election is in the Milwaukee suburbs, which is good news for Democrats, because those have been trending Democratic. The biggest swing in the Senate race between 2016, when uh, Russ Feingold, lost to Ron Johnson in their second matchup versus 2022, was in Ozaukee County, which is the suburb north of Milwaukee that used to be the most Republican county in the state of Wisconsin, and it moved eight points towards the Democratic column. Mm -hmm. So, the, the state Senate race is uh, includes a big chunk of Ozaki County and Washington and Waukesha counties. It's a district that Republicans gerrymandered to tilt even a little more Republican than it was. So at this point, it's a Republican plus seven districts, meaning that in a 50-50 year, you'd expect it to go Republican by seven points. But it's a special election, and those are very different. We have won special elections in redder districts than that. In favorable conditions, of course, we've also lost, you know, blue or, uh, district special elections. So I, I think it's a race where it's worth giving it a very, very strong shot. But we don't yet know, you know, we don't know how it'll turn out. You you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So we're going to give that a shot. At the same time, there's an even bigger fight happening on April fourth of twenty twenty
0: three. I, I want to get to the day. Supreme Court, but not yeah. yet because we're going to have to take a commercial break and then I want to come back. (laughs) But, but stay with this one for a bit. Do you know who the candidates are yet?
1: So on the democratic side, there are folks thinking about it, but no one has thrown their hat in the ring yet. One person um, who is a, a Democrat who is a state representative in that district uh, has decided not to run. So we are looking for a great person to be a candidate there on the Mm -hmm. Republican side. State Representative Dan Knodel has announced that he's running. There's some other Republicans who might. And they might have a kind of extremist on extremist primary. So uh, I certainly hope all the Republicans who are thinking about it throw their hats in the ring. And uh, I, we're, if you're listening right now, you live in that district, and you're thinking about mounting a run, um, let's talk.
0: All right. So on that note, um, we'll take a, a break, um, if maybe a p- hair longer, because I missed one earlier. Um, and when we come back, let's turn to the Supreme Court race.
1: You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820.
0: Well, that's true. But you're also listening to Ben Wickler, chair of, of the Wisconsin D- Dems and one of the best organizers we could ask for in this fight. But, right, ben, we were um, about to turn to the uh, all-important Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. And as you tell me about it, is I, an important point that is so hard to make in a political campaign for a court seat. Our, our justice system depends on having independent and judicially minded jurists. Because of political campaigns and largely because the GOP says it so, Americans think that they're Democratic courts and there are Republican courts and that the decisions are just about which side wins. In, in fact, Democrats are campaigning for the whole idea of an independent judiciary, what what Hamilton argued so vociferously for in the Federalist papers, and the Republicans are arguing for a captured court so as you talk about the race, talk about that too
1: i I want to just underscore and emphatically agree with what you just said. The Wisconsin State Supreme Court right now is really like an extension of Fox News Channel. Uh, they make decisions. Uh, at one point, they banned drop boxes for absentee ballots in a decision to compared Wisconsin to Syria um, and, and, and claiming that it was a democracy by it was a system, you know, election system ruled by fiat. Because there had been accommodations for people during the COVID pandemic. It is a it is a laughingstock among constitutional experts and judicial scholars. It really is. Uh, you know, a kind of a, a blight on the idea of the rule of law. And the people who are running that that I would support believe that we should have rule of law, equal justice under the law. We should have a, a judiciary that actually looks at what's in the Constitution and what's passed by the legislature and makes decisions on that basis instead of advancing a partisan Republican agenda. And that's what's at stake. Uh, now, Wisconsin has the most gerrymandered legislative maps in the country the, the texas is number two number you know, you can you can go down the ohio's
0: list ohio's pretty close yeah,
1: worst ohio's yeah they're they're one of the worst in the yeah. country as well
0: yeah.
1: um but the there's a, in the, you, uh, got a you
0: guys are right you guys are there top
1: yep We're, the worst yep the worst yeah. the worst and wisconsin's constitution uh demands that people have equal voting rights And if you look at the text of our Constitution and you look at the maps, they actually don't line up very well. And there are states like Pennsylvania where Supreme Courts have thrown out gerrymandered maps on on the constitutional basis. The U.S. Supreme Court had the opportunity to, but they said, no, this should be left to the states. But the the state in in Wisconsin, it's not that these maps were drawn by a state legislature and then passed muster with a state Supreme Court. Our state Supreme Court chose these maps. We're the only state where the state Supreme Court chose a completely partisan gerrymander Uh, this century. There's a scholar I was tweeting back and forth with who was looking across the country. We were the only state that they could find at least since 2000. That's how far back they looked, where a state legislature chose a set of maps designed to maximize the electoral performance for just one party. Everywhere else, when it gets to the courts, they at least try to choose some other kind of basis for, for, for deciding what the map should be. So it is it is so bad. But there's one Republican, and I say Republican advisedly, knowing this is a nonpartisan court, there's one Republican state Supreme Court justice who has announced her retirement, which means that on April 4th of 2023, there's an open seat and in Wisconsin, Supreme Court seats almost never, you all, incumbents almost always win reelection. There's only two in the last half century that have not won reelection in, a, in our state Supreme Court. But open seats, they're a toss-up. And on April 4th, an open seat currently held by a conservative will be up. And there are now two very, very right-wing conservatives running for that spot. And there are two more independent jurists, current sitting judges, who are running for that spot as well. And what happens in that race will determine whether the state Supreme Court keeps choosing ultra gerrymandered maps or even potentially strikes down the current maps and demands fair ones, which could lead to all kinds of changes. It's the actual restoration of democracy in Wisconsin, the, the state Supreme Court race will determine whether we have a state Supreme Court that keeps shrinking and striking down voting rights as the current court has before the 2024 presidential or a Supreme Court who follows the law and Constitution, expands voting rights to back where the lawmakers intended for them to be in the state that is the most pivotal for the 2024 presidential race. And the state Supreme Court will rule on our 1849, the year 1849 abortion ban that starts Mm -hmm. at zero weeks. It is a total abortion ban with no exceptions for rape or incest. That's in lower courts right now. We will come in front of the Supreme Court sometime later next year. So much is at stake for Wisconsin in this one race, really a path to being a self-perpetuating minority rule state because of gerrymandering or a path to becoming a responsive democracy again. It hinges on April
0: 4th. Okay, you, you have your work cut out for you again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, I, I will say the great thing is that this is offense. This is a chance to actually make things better and not just prevent things from becoming worse. So the, the, I mean, you know, the the risks, there's also a prevention aspect to it because we've seen what this court is willing to do to to crack down on methods of voting that are used by Democrats. Uh, And it could be very bad. It, it, It would be scary if Republicans do hold their majority but if we win it actually opens a path to Wisconsin be- to becoming the kind of state where a majority of voters can choose the the fate of our laws and the, the kind of policies we should have and you know whether those values whether the values of the people of the state should be reflected in the government of the state and that opportunity that's the kind of state I want my kids to grow up in It is, you can taste how close that possibility is, and that's the reason there's a lot of joy going into this election, not just uh, prevention of a disaster.
0: Yeah, I know you do not underestimate the other side, but in Ohio, the Supreme Court did rule, they ruled that the Republican legislature's maps were unconstitutional, and the legislature told the court to go jump in Lake Erie and ran elections on those maps, and 15 uh, uh, members of Congress are showing up, flipping the balance from Democrat to Republican and they won in districts that are, where the elections were illegal according to their own Supreme Court so w- the, the, the folks we're up against are, are not uh, they don't respect the rule of law when it doesn't go their way, that's for sure so it's, 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 it's enormously that. important yeah. to win the Supreme Court, but y- your fight won't be over even after you get done
1: the fight, the fight, uh, politics is like pickleball. It is a life sport. Uh, you, you, it's, you're never too old for, for, for fighting in a democracy. The, that said, in Wisconsin, if the legislature and the governor can't agree, then the courts actually decide how the maps should be drawn. And they can appoint a special master to draw the maps or they can adopt a set of maps someone has proposed. So it's not like they just kick it back until the legislature produces acceptable maps. They actually just decide what the maps will be. And wow. every other, yeah. So, so, Wisconsin, the state legislature couldn't pull the trick that they've done in Ohio. The, the Supreme Court, if we have one that believes in democracy, it can choose a set of maps that allow voters to have equal weight in, in determining the majority in the state legislature. Um, they, I'm sure Republicans will find other dirty tricks to, to pull, and we will fight those when they come up.
0: Yeah, but one of really them is a, a, a
1: clear path.
0: <laughs> one of them will be to go to the, that other Supreme Court in Washington. On this so-called independent state legislature doctrine, so that you could win the Supreme Court race, and they could then say, "Yeah, well, the Supreme Court has nothing to say about any of this." So, uh, uh,
1: yes, there's uh, there yeah. there are perils in our future, no matter what we do. But, it, but I would rather go into that fight with a state Supreme Court that believes in the rule of law than one that does
0: not. I would do. too. I would too. And um, y- y- you have a you have a good chance in part because. I, I could zoom out and talk about organizing more generally. What made efforts like yours or LaVora Barnes in Michigan so, so successful? How did you build so many on-ramps for people to participate at whatever level they could?
1: So Wisconsin and, and Michigan, uh, we have something in common as state parties. I'm, I'm very close to LaVora Barnes, who's the Michigan state party chair. We actually just
0: fabulous. That yep.
1: She is amazing. In both of our states, after Trump won in 2016, our state parties decided to do things differently. Instead of laying everyone off and shutting down until a few months before the next November election, in both states, the state party launched a year-round grassroots neighborhood team-based organizing program patterned on the Obama organizing model, where neighbors talk to their neighbors, and launched those not just in a lead up to an election, but actually to run every single month. So in both states, we've had continuous organizing from the spring of 2017 to now, uh, you know, six years later. That has made a gigantic difference because it means that when there's a local school board race or a state Supreme Court race like this one or a race for superintendent of public instruction, those teams are on the ground. They're still there. You preserve the relationships between the activists and, and between the volunteers and the voters. You, there's turnover always in, a, you know, in an organizing staff. Uh, but we have some people who've been around since then. But the neighborhood teams are constant. The, unless people move out of the area, there's no reason ever to go join a different team. So when an organizer comes on the staff, they learn from the local teams about how best to win in that community. That effort has allowed us to not only build a stronger and stronger on-the-ground presence, but also to add different elements. So we've added distributed organizing where Someone who's not in Wisconsin or or in an area that doesn't yet have a team can start uh, helping out on a solo basis. Virtual organizing, which is uh, something we learned in the COVID pandemic, especially to support people with Mm -hmm. absentee ballots, calling in. Uh, you know, being able to to help people move through the system through text and phone calls, relational organizing, where you go not based on geography but based on your personal network of contacts. We now have staff across all those different organizing methodologies that were that are part of an overall plan, so that anyone who has time and a willingness to help, we can plug them in in a way that they can be useful. And the way they can they can help the most if they're in a if they don't know a single Wisconsinite, we have them call strong Democrats who might forget to vote. If there's someone who has a web of relationships in a community that's you know split, they may go out and do persuasion, knocking on people's doors. We will we will take people's time and their talents and give them the highest impact way to make a difference. And what happens when you do that is that they can see the impact of their work and they keep coming back. And there's a snowball effect where it gets bigger and bigger as it goes. Uh, you know, Michigan, they won their Supreme Court majority a few years ago. And that made mm-hmm. the path to now becoming a blue track vector. We are we mm-hmm. have a, a little ways to go on that. But we are on that march as well. You can turn a state blue if you have that kind of year round on the ground capacity uh, and, a, and a unified strategy that understands the role of all the different folks involved in that election. And that is exactly what we're working to do.
0: Yeah, but it, uh, it also. um has an impact that is is not about politics. It's almost something that Tocqueville wrote about. Once you have people involved in this political process, they are talking to their neighbors. They're talking about their community's challenges and their community's opportunities. And they're trying to figure out ways to uh, strengthen their community in in every part of a state. You, You end up building... The raw material of viable communities through a political process. This way, it's a really amazing thing to see.
1: I love it. I when I was running for chair, I went from you know county party to county party, neighborhood team to neighborhood team, and it. I sort of fell in love with democracy and its practice at this in this very Tocquevilleian way of these associations at every level. You go to a meeting, and it's not just the Senate race that people are talking about. They're also talking about, you know, there's a vacancy on the city council, and who here wants to run, and we'll all get behind you. And they're, you know, figuring out ways to to pitch in and and build from the ground up. It becomes self propelling, and it it yields candidates who are deeply grounded in their communities, and it it means that campaigns actually get valuable intelligence from the grassroots, and so they they honor and respect the grassroots. There were years in the past where. Candidates didn't trust the state party. They didn't trust each other. So everyone tried to build their own field organizing efforts and they would compete for the same volunteers. I worked on a campaign that was like that when I was in high school. That doesn't happen in Wisconsin anymore. Uh, We 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 build in a in a unified way. And, you know, there's always lots of ways that we can get better, and we're striving to do that. We're doing listening sessions all over Wisconsin to learn everything we can from the election that just happened. But it's in service of a a vision that everyone agrees on, which is that we should organize everywhere, all the time, year-round elections, big and small. And when we do that, we help to build the fabric of a a civic community and a civic life in our state that goes beyond politics.
0: So, So I'm hoping that all of you who are listening in Illinois are paying attention. Because Illinois, a reliably blue state, is not organized this way. I mean, it is a we're reliably blue for other reasons, but we are missing this this um, quality of campaigning across the state that improves that, that strengthens community while it does political work. We're still in the bickering with each other phase. And Ben, I think that's part of the transition from the Democratic Party's historic reliance on, on on big city mayors and unions for 100% of its organizing. And now, while unions are still a big part of uh, the coalition, that's not where all the energy is.
1: I mean, part of that is because of the decades-long assault on unions by the right. Wisconsin yeah. has been a very proud union state, the birthplace of public sector unions, and is now a right to work, so-called right to work state, where Republicans can smash unions willy nilly. We will only be better off if we can restore the power of more workers to organize in their workplaces and and for democracy beyond their workplaces as well. Um, and that said, you're right that that the goal of of creating a party that can help to lift all boats. Uh, that's something that we, we now have, had, had by necessity, have built and in practice in, in Wisconsin, and I know that there are folks in, in Illinois who are very excited about this as well, and I look forward to working yep. over the next couple of years with folks because I think the, the opportunity is huge, and it can affect uh, democracy positively in so many ways, even if you're in a state where you're, you're winning your statewide races reliably.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and I think Democrats around the country are be waking up to this and the sort of dual mission of our politics, which is to win elections, but also to build community. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, I, I want to take one more break, and then I want to turn to you to – to, to a, I want to zoom out and talk about some of the country issues with you just a little bit. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Ben Wickler, um, fabulous chair of the Wisconsin Dems. Stay with us. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820.